Alright, so episode 50. 50! Oh, shit. This is Historical AF. Welcome, welcome. My name is Natalie. I'm Kina. And I'm Audrey. Yay! We are a historian, a librarian, and a special guest bringing you the weird, funny, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets to your ear holes for our landmark 50th. Wow! <laughs> Amazing. Our <laughs> 50th is Scandal. Scandal's part dose. Oh, do you feel it? you feel the excitement? I hope you do. do. It's like, <laughs> Frankie, if you like this podcast, you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's got you there. <laughs> to some degree, okay? You might you might pass. It's normal, but come on. I mean, weird's not a bad thing. It's like nerds are cool now. Being weird's cool now. It's fine. We're just better than all the normal people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a conceited weirdo. Uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> you do. You do want to be, or you don't. Uh, as in the words of my mother, "Normal is boring." You wouldn't like me if I was normal. That's true. Mm. I like your mother. Mm. Erica's always like, "You're so weird." She's like, "You wouldn't like me if I was a normal mom." <laughs> like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Weird is awesome. Everything is awesome. Everything is weird. <laughs> Shall we go in? Had enough of our shit. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but that's okay. So what's the it's weirdest thing it, about you? It's because it's 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> and I've been up since 530. Uh, oh, God, me too. Oh, man. You guys. <laughs> it's like the sun and is shining. I can see the sun. Behind you, <laughs> we're like oh, hello, my old friend. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's pretty. And now she's in the future. <laughs> I forget that. that. Yeah, she's actually yeah, and not behind. Or is it not same? <laughs> yeah, man. <clears throat> oh, let's just kick off the fiftieth episode, which is some dark shit. Let's do this. We'll just start with the I, wouldn't, I wouldn't Shit. expect it any differently. Like <laughs> it, uh, it has it has to be either dicks or cannibalism. Oh buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Cannibalistic dicks? <gasps> we'll see. Good lord. Oh man. So I, I got morbid and I got a lot of from Murderpedia. So <laughs> Murderpedia. I love that. And uh, we're going to your neck of the woods, Audrey, because we're going to be in Japan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So I'm going to butcher a lot of this and I'm sorry. So correct me if you know any of these words. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Sada Abe was born on May 28th, 1905 and was the seventh of eight children. Huh, they were upper middle class <laughs> family. That were tatami mat makers in Tokyo's Kanda neighborhood. Okay. Uh, sadly, only four of the children actually survived a ch- adulthood. So, already starting on a sad note. 
Yay. But because everybody died, her mother really doted on her and kind of let her do as she wished. She encouraged her to take lessons in singing and playing the shamisen. I think so. Um, Both activities, which at the time were closely associated with the geisha and prostitutes, uh, more so than just being artistic. Geishas were considered glamorous celebrities, and Ave herself followed the image by skipping school for her lessons, and then she wore the stylistic makeup. Her brother, Shintaro, was known as a womanizer, and after his marriage, he ran away with all his parents' money. (laughs) (laughs) Sada's sister was also known to have several lovers. Her father sent her to work in a brothel, which apparently was not an uncommon way to punish female sexual promiscuity in Japan at that time. But he eventually bought her back pretty soon after. So I guess it was like, you learned your lesson, sold you into prostitution, but I bought you back, so we're good now. (laughs) Very awkward family dinner, I'm sure. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But it apparently didn't hurt her very much because she was able to get married soon after. But during this clusterfuck, uh, Abe was sent out of the house alone because her parents were dealing with the other siblings being like, what the fuck are you doing? She's all wandering around Japan by herself. And then she kind of fell into a group of independent teenagers like herself. But at age 15, one of these outings, she was raped by one of her acquaintances. And even though her parents defended and supported her, she had a difficult time dealing with it. But a lot of these sources were like, she became difficult. Um, Yeah, she got raped. She was having a hard time dealing with it. Of course, she'd be difficult. So I had a little issue with the wording on some of these sources. Because it was all like, oh, she just became trouble and she couldn't do stuff. And I'm like, of course, she probably felt horrible. Anyway. um, I already went through that rant. I wrote down the rant. That's that's how I am. Anyway, so she rebelled and struggled, and eventually her parents sold her to a geisha house in Yokohama. Yokohama? Oh yeah, that's like uh, south of Tokyo. Just okay. It's still a part of Tokyo. Okay. In 1922, and they were hoping that she'd find some place in society with that direction. Her sister testified in the court that we're going to get to later. That she had always wanted to be a geisha, but Sada herself said that her father made her be a geisha as a punishment, and she didn't ever want to be one. So it's a little little up in the air about that. But the encounter with the geisha would be really frustrating and disappointing for her, because to become a real star among the geisha, most of them became apprenticing when they were children, and she was too old. So because of that, she became a low-ranking geisha, which meant that she was just going to be a sex worker. She worked for five years in this capacity and eventually contracted syphilis. It's getting so dark. I'm surprised she made it five years. I know, right? And because having syphilis and being a geisha would mean that she'd have to get tested regularly to be a legal prostitute in Japan, uh, she decided to go to a better paying profession. So she began work as a prostitute in Osaka's famous Tobita brothel district, but soon gained a reputation as a troublemaker she stole money from clients. She attempted to leave several times and then she'd be tracked down by the you know, owner and all kinds of stuff. After two years, she eventually succeeded in escaping and been working as a waitress. But then she was like, well, this shit doesn't pay enough. So she became a prostitute again. Right. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's just getting, it's just getting worse and worse. <laughs> 
but this time she was unlicensed. She entered into prostitution market in Tokyo and became a mistress there for the first time. In October of 1934, she was arrested in a police raid because she was in an unlicensed brothel. But Kinos- oh, oh, Kinosuke Kasahara, a well-connected friend of the brothel owner, arranged to have the women released. He was attracted to her and then finding out that she had no debts, decided that she was going to be his new mistress. He set her up a house, and in December 20th, 1934, he gave her some money, and then in the deposition to the police that this court case is going to happen in the future. I'm trying to hold off on what she's getting arrested for, but I'm sure you're picking up on what I'm putting down here. Uh, he said, and this is just so fucked up, he said, quote, she was really strong, a real powerful one. Even though I'm pretty jaded, she was enough to astound me. She wasn't satisfied unless we did it two, three four times a night to her it was unacceptable unless i had my hand on her private parts all night long at first it was great but after a couple of weeks it just got really exhausting so <laughs> i just that was his testimony in court <laughs> this story i'm telling you it takes so many twists and turns i oh i was not prepared uh, when she suggested that he leave his wife, because apparently she he was enjoying what she was doing, he was like, nah. And then she's like, well, can I take a lover? And he was like, nah. And then she's like, fuck this, I'm out. And then he ended his testimony with an angry remark saying, quote, she is a slut and a whore. And what she has done makes clear she is a woman who men should fear. And then she retorted back being like, he didn't love me. He treated me like an animal. He's the kind of scum who would then plead with me when I said we should break up. So she was like, fuck you, dude. So anyway, in 1935, she intended to leave the sex industry completely. And she began working as a maid in a restaurant. She became romantically involved with a customer at the restaurant named Omaya, knowing that the restaurant wouldn't tolerate having a maid, you know, having relations with the client. She returned to Tokyo in June. Omaya met with her in Tokyo and then found out she had syphilis. And then he's like, Cool, I'm going to pay for you to stay at this Hot Springs Resort because that's what they thought cured that shit back then. Fun fact, it does not. Hot Springs, do not cure your syphilis. Don't don't try that at home. At least it wasn't an attempt versus like, yeah. way, like at least it was an attempt. I mean, it was nice of him not to be scared away and be like, here, I can fix that. You cannot fix that. Yeah. In January, he suggested that she could become financially independent by opening a small restaurant. So that I think is nice. He's probably the nicest person in this whole scenario so far to be like, hey, you can take care of yourself. I'm going to help you. So he's like, you should become an apprentice and then I'll help you make a restaurant. So she becomes an apprentice at the Yoshidaya on February 1st, 1936. And then the owner of the establishment, Kiyo. Kichiozo Ishida. Uh, man, I'm so sorry, Japanese people. <laughs> uh, he was 42 at the time, had worked his way up in the business, and he so when she joined the restaurant, he was a womanizer, and so she became his mistress. I feel really bad for her. She's just she's trying to make it in this world, but to get anywhere, she's becoming a mistress. Yeah. So he was making a lot of advances to her. And then finally in mid-April, she gave in and they initiated their sexual relationship in the restaurant to the accompaniment, accompaniment, oh my God, words, 
accompany that's why is that a hard word accompaniment accompaniment <laughs> is that right yeah i don't know sure but so she got a com- com- accompaniment she <laughs> to the romantic ballad sung by geishas so basically he seduced her oh. with a choir of geishas watching and then they did it again with- yeah <laughs> Wow. Well, that's kind of romantic. Also, how is this knowledge? How is this? Does someone write? Is this in her diary or like how is this known? Uh, well, it's this very, very well known court case, and she apparently spilled everything. Okay. Yeah. So on October, or not October, April 23rd, I don't even know where I got October from. On April 23rd, 1936. They met at a prearranged sexual encounter at a tea house, which was the equivalent of a love hotel at the time, in the Shibuya neighborhood. Planning on only a short fling, the couple remained in bed for four days. That just sounds <laughs> exhausting, honestly. I don't and then on the night of April 27, 1936, they moved to another tea house in a distant neighborhood of Futaku Tamagawa. Here they continue to drink and have sex, sometimes with the accompaniment. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, I just did. Sorry, Frankie. Accompaniment. Uh, We're just going to. This should be a drinking game. Yeah. Every time I fuck that up, take a shot. (laughs) (laughs) Of Geisha singing again. And they continue to do it as maids kept entering to serve more sake. (laughs) What the hell? Yeah. (laughs) They next moved their marathon lovemaking bout to an <laughs> Ogu neighborhood. Ishida did not return to the restaurant until the morning of May 8th. So the last time was April 27th. And then the next time he goes to work is May 8th. Wow. And he's just been doing it this whole time. He probably yeah. hasn't taken his hand off her private parts. Well, no wonder <laughs> they have to have somebody like bring in drinks. They got to stay hydrated. <laughs> just- I don't need any Gatorade or some shit. <laughs> So, apparently, after they became separated for the first time in, like, forever, she became (laughs) agitated and started... Literally separated. Literally separated. She became very (laughs) agitated. She became drinking a lot. She claimed that she knew love for the first time in her life and thought that he was back with his wife and she became very jealous. And then, you know, naturally, she started thinking about murder. (laughs) Oh, my God. I just... Yeah, that's what she needs. Her no, it, it's a Gatorade. <laughs> and and this is where shit starts to get wild. So I know that I thought the beginning part was wild, but no, this is where it gets just holy shit. So on May 9th, so a day later, like they've only been separated a day, and she's already like, I'm ready to murder him. I can't handle it. <clears throat> that sounds fair. <laughs> So she attended a play in which a geisha attacks her lover with a large knife. And then after seeing this, she was like, that sounds like a great idea. So on May 11th, 1936, she pawned some of her clothing and then used the money to buy some sushi, like you do, and then a kitchen knife. (laughs) I love that sushi's part of that. And then (laughs) later she described meeting him that night, saying, quote, I pulled the kitchen knife out of my bag and I threatened him as had been done in the play. And said, you wore that kimono just to please one of your favorite customers. You bastard, I'll kill you for that. And then he was startled at first and drew away a little. But then he seemed delighted with it. (laughs) 
Huh. So he's like, ooh, sex game. Let's do this. And then <laughs> they returned. <laughs> I'm losing my voice. Okay, so then he returned back to the tea house where they remained until his death. During their lovemaking, <laughs> she put the knife to the base of his penis and said that she would make sure that he never played with another woman. Oh, my God, my voice. It's probably less impactful than now that I can't talk. And then he laughed at this. Two nights into the bout of sex, she began choking him, and he told her to continue, saying that this increased his pleasure. Not to yuck anybody's yum. Oh, he was a sex. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm like, I'm not bashing anybody's, you know, things. Well, Frankie just said he's a sub. (laughs) (laughs) And then you said... Yeah. He started choking him. Yeah. So he's digging it at this point. So on the <laughs> evening of May 16th, 1936, Abe used her OB sash, which geisha's uh, kimonos, the sash in the middle, um, to cut off his breathing during orgasm. And apparently both of them enjoyed it. That's a quote from her. And she repeated this for two more hours of just choking him. And <laughs> Yeah. And then once they stopped strangulation, his face became distorted and wouldn't return to normal. So he decided <laughs> to take some sedatives and then to soothe his pain. And then he's like, I'll be ready. I'm going to take a nap. And then he's like, but if you put the quarter on my neck while I'm sleeping and squeeze again, just don't stop. And then because it'll be too painful afterwards. So she said in hindsight, she's like, well, maybe he wanted me to kill him. But a reflection, I think he was just joking. So this is her testimony in court. So about 2 a.m. on the morning of May 18th, 1936, while he was asleep, she wrapped his sash around his neck and strangled him to death. She later told police, quote, after I had killed him, I felt totally at ease as though a heavy burden had been lifted from my shoulders and I felt a sense of clarity. After laying with his body for a few hours, she then severed his genitalia with a kitchen knife, wrapped them in a magazine cover and kept them in her purse. For three days. What? <laughs> After oh, she strangled him, she cut off his penis. Oh yeah, yeah. Ah. <sighs> I'm just boil him, mash him, stick him in a stew. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's wilder. So with the blood, she wrote Kichi or Sada Kichi together on his inner left thigh and on the bed sheet, and then she carved her name in the character on his left arm. And then after putting on his underwear, she left the inn about 8 a.m. telling staff not to disturb him because he was sleeping. When asked why she severed his genitalia, she replied, quote, because I couldn't take his head. I couldn't take his body. And I wanted to take part of him that brought me back the most vivid memories. (laughs) Sorry. I'm also laughing at Jeff. He's like, I feel like there's a movie about this. And then, I know there's a movie Memoirs of a Geisha and yeah. she said has popped into this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So after leaving the inn, she met with her former lover, that Amaya guy and repeatedly apologized to him. And he was thinking she, he, she was apologizing because she, you know, abandoned him for a new lover, but he had no idea that she just murdered the fuck out of this guy and that his, murder was gonna ruin his career through association so you know poor dude on may 19 1936 the newspapers picked up the story and his career was ruined 
So she was right on that. And then her life was under intense public scrutiny from that point onwards. The story became a national sensation and the ensuing frenzy over the search was called the Abu Sade panic. Police received reports of sightings of her in various cities and then false sightings nearly caused stampedes in areas and like traffic jams. Everybody was trying to find her. On May 19, 1936, she went shopping and saw a movie. She stayed at an inn on May 20th and she had a massage and a drink or she drank three bottles of beer. She spent the day writing farewell letters to friends that Amaya guy that she fucked up his career and Oshida who she, you know, killed. And then she planned to complete suicide a week after that. But then she practiced. Oh, this is where it gets so bad. Oh, it's so bad. Okay. I'm going to start nervous laughing. Laughing. It's not funny. <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know how to process this. So then she started practicing necrophilia. Quote, I felt attached to his penis and thought that only after taking leave from it quietly could I then die. I unwrapped the paper holding them and gazed at his penis and scrotum. I'm so sorry. I put his penis in my mouth and even tried to insert it inside me. I'm so sorry. It didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) However, I thought if I kept trying and trying, then I decided that I would flee to Osaka, staying with the Sheena's penis all the while. In the end, I would jump from a clip on Mount Ikoma while holding onto his penis. End quote. I'm so sorry. He said, I don't My know. My part has this. been Frankie capitalizing. This, this is where it gets By the gods. At four o'clock in the afternoon, police detectives, suspicious of the alias in which she had been using, came to her room. Quote, don't be so formal, she told them. You're looking for Sada Abe, right? Well, that's me. I'm her. When police were not convinced, she displayed the genitalia as proof. Oh, oh my god! Like, how is this reality? Like, yeah, also just man. So then she was arrested, obviously, and then interrogated over eight sessions. The interrogating officer was struck by Abe's demeanor, and when asked when she, why she killed him, she said, "Well, immediately." Oh, or he said. Immediately, she became excited, and her eyes sparkled in a strange way. Her answer was, I loved him so much, I wanted him all to myself. But since we were not husband and wife, as long as he lived, he could not be with me and would embrace other women. I knew that if I killed him, no other woman could ever touch him again, so I killed him. So, in attempting to explain what distinguishes her from other cases in japan this guy said that uh basically she killed not out of jealousy but out of love hmm. that's how it usually is, isn't it especially like crazy stalkers and whatnot like if i can't have you no one will i, I just love you too much can't share you oh it's so weird but the insert um, inside like this hurts yeah, yeah, in every possible cool. way like yeah that's just, it's That's just really awesome on so many levels. So disgusting. Yeah. Like, someone, she seriously needed help. Yeah, she really, 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 really did. This occurred at the time that the Japanese media were preoccupied with extreme political and military troubles, including the Nini Roku incident and the looming full-scale war in China. He suggests that this sensationalistic sex scandal such as this served as a welcome national release from the disturbing events of the time. So as a country, 
people are eating this shit up because they weren't reading about war. So mm-hmm. it became even a more like huge tabloid type thing, I guess equivalent of the US. Mm-hmm. After her arrest, the penis and testicles were moved to Tokyo's Medical University School of Pathology Museum and they're put on public display. Oh, what? <laughs> but then they disappeared after World War II. Uh, so no. <laughs> she came for them. <laughs> I mean, aiming. <laughs> On December 21st, 1936, she was convicted of murder in the second degree and mutilation of a corpse. Though the prosecution demanded 10 years, Abe claimed that she desired the death penalty, but she was in fact sentenced to just six years in prison. Just six. She was confined to a women's penitentiary. So the guy she was having an affair with before the guy she killed was investigated by the police for possible involvement of the murder, but he was finally released because he had nothing to do with it. The wife of the man she murdered was devastated by her husband's death, although she was not surprised that he was cheating, but she managed to keep the restaurant going. Ironically, this murder actually caused her restaurant to do very well because of publicity, and then also the hotel where he died got a spike in visits because people wanted to stay in the room that he died. (laughs) So... They're all We're some people. messed up yeah. people in the world. <laughs> you can't shake your head. You're what wanted by haunted B and B. That's true. I do. I know. That's what it's like. Morbid curiosity. <laughs> it's true. That's, I'll people- sell ghost tickets. <laughs> like, I'm gonna, I'll profit off of that morbid curiosity. Man. So apparently, once she was in prison, was the most stable time of her life because her whole life was pretty. Mm-hmm. She would later describe prison staff as loving and caring people, and she actually felt part of this community. So okay. She was a model prisoner, and then her sentence was later commuted, and she was released in 1940. Unfortunately, she was too famous, and she couldn't keep out of the public eye. People were writing books about her. She sued one author for a scandalous book that supposedly had interviews with her, but she was in prison so she couldn't give those interviews she made a little money off of that she tried living like anonymously but people kept on figuring out who she was she was getting fired everywhere she tried to work because people would find out who she was uh da, 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 da. in 1976 the erotic classic the realm of the senses <laughs> is probably the best known of the three films made about her life the film's explicit sex scenes and gruesome ending caused to be banned and censored in many countries around the world What's the name of it? The what? Realm of the Senses. The Realm of the Senses. Mm-hmm. That title sounds familiar. I think I've heard of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So lots of books, lots of movies. And then as far as her, she was last seen in 1970. And nobody knows what happened to her after that. So there's like speculation. Interesting. That she disappeared. Some people said that she committed suicide. There's just like a lot of different theories. But no matter what. You know, she will always be remembered. She's fairly quite famous. So this is the first time I've ever heard of it. But yeah, I've never heard of it. Uh, now uh, I gotta go find her descendants. No, she <laughs> she didn't have kids, did she? Uh no. I kinda hope not. No. <laughs> I mean like her siblings did, but mm-hmm. she didn't. so it's probably something. But yeah, I mean, she had a really rough life, so I'm assuming she probably just wasn't thinking quite clearly. She probably was 
a mixture of a lot of mental illnesses and PTSD and depression and all kinds of stuff. And yeah, your dad sells you to to prostitution. Yeah. And you're raped at 15 and then sold into prostitution. I mean, all that stuff was just horrible. She probably had no like concept of like self worth or like reality. Mm-hmm. Or what things should be, yeah, in a relationship or something. Yeah, like all she knew is like the physical mm-hmm. part. Yeah, it it was wild. Yeah, what a ride! <laughs> <laughs> Pond in the prostitution. Yeah, that's 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 about it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yay. Well, I mean, all my Mormons lately have been pretty tame, so. But we did get a dick story. We did. Mm -hmm. It was not intentional. I just saw, I, like, Googled morbid scandal, and this was what came up. And I was like, ooh, geisha. And then I was like, oh, no. (laughs) And then I was too far into it. (laughs) I love the book, Memoirs of Geisha. And then it ruined me when I found out a white man wrote it. And I was like, huh. It was such a good book. Why would that ruin you? Well, it was just like I really felt like it was like a story of a young geisha growing up and coming into womanhood and stuff. And I was like, a man wrote that? Like, just it writes like it's a memoir. I think that's actually pretty. Yeah, I know that. Like, it sounds like he actually did research. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was thinking it was based on somebody, and I was like, no, no, it's not. I do like that movie. I haven't read the book, but the movie's good. Heartbreaking, yeah. but good. But disclaimer, I know a lot of people think geishas are prostitutes, but not necessarily. Like, geisha are very, like, high-standing people in society in Japan. Just because she was too old, she was kind of in the... She was too old to be a geisha of that sort. So, I'm not calling geishas prostitutes. You better not. Yeah. They'll come for you. Oh, it's really hard to me when I think what one American ever has become one. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, they have like uh, in Osaka and Kyoto where we went on vacation. That's like the the mecca of the geishas. Mm-hmm. And like if you go, we didn't go to the, the area, but like you have to get reservations and the geishas will serve you. Mm-hmm. And like if you're walking down that street at like you know, dinner time, you'll see all the geishas come out and, and, well, you'll see them like on their way to their work and they're all dressed up and like painted up and just, yeah. We didn't get to see that though, but I saw it on a documentary. It'd be pretty awesome. That is really cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's really awesome that, like uh, the way that Japan still has so much culture. Mm-hmm. Like, and even so, when we were there for New Year's, they have all these shops where you can rent kimonos and dress up like a geisha for like 30 bucks. You can rent a kimono, and like all the Japanese girls do it for New Year's. So you don't have to be a geisha to dress up like one. Mm-hmm. And this just like looks like fun. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do it, but I didn't want to spend that much money. <laughs> yeah, they're like the ultimate celebrity. Like mm-hmm. the epitome of like class and beauty and 
talent and yeah yeah i don't know what the american equivalent would be (laughs) (laughs) hollywood i guess we got the people want to be like stars all right we're back to history um so mine is historical and i found this article blah 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 blah, historical scales that would cause a firestorm today oh so basically if if that shit happened today you know it'd be all up in twitter and facebook and memes about it and whatnot on this article like the first one it lists is like kennedy and Marilyn Monroe and stuff like that, but oh, yeah. people know about that, so I'm not gonna go into it. And like birthday you said, it's forever too. Happy birthday to you! Awesome. Now that we have that, we're gonna talk about Rudolph Valentino. <laughs> he was a superstar, like super Hollywood, amazing actor. He was known as the Latin Lover. Mm. <laughs> uh, he was a heartthrob of the silent film era in the 1920s so I thought oh that fits because we were in the 2020s um, he was a symbol of masculine sexuality and he shot to fame with captivating performances in silent uh, blockbusters like The Sheik which is actually one of I think I've seen even in the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse his sudden death at age 31 resulted in mass hysteria among his female fans and solidified his iconic status. However, before becoming a star, Rudolph had probably been a male prostitute. Before rising to fame, Valentino, I know we're all about prostitution, it seems. Uh, Valentino had worked as a dancer in what was known as taxi dance clubs. And these clubs were basically like escort services where clients would come in and examine the club's stable of dancers. Like it describes like a horse stable. (laughs) And they'd pay to dance with somebody that caught their eye. And then clients who got good vibes and they liked their dance partner would negotiate a price with him or her and then pay the club an exit fee to leave with the dancer. Ooh. I guess it's like a sex library. That's what I'm kind of getting out of this. Oh, like no. <laughs> a sex library. Wow. We have to pay, so it's, it's not as cool as a library because library stuff is free. Oh, um, so some taxi dance clubs were legitimate and innocent. So like just truly like, hey, I need a date tonight. We just come party with me. We'll have fun. Um, but most were not as innocent. Like pretty much straight up escort services. And in Valentina's case, he was once arrested in a brothel before becoming famous. Oh. So it's very likely that he was in one of those super not so innocent kind of taxi dance club. Oh. I feel like and, um Shanning Tatum would be like that today. Like wasn't he a stripper? Yeah. Was was he a prostitute? Or is that just magic mike? No, he really was. He really was. Oh, that's cool. I guess based on his real stripper life. Thank thank God. (laughs) Yeah, there's some video somewhere of somebody of him when he was a stripper giving somebody a lap dance. He really was. 
he talks about it all the time. I mean, he is a good dancer, so. I'm I mean, I, I agree with money. dancing and stuff. I just, okay. But yeah. he wasn't, like, being, he wasn't a prostitute. I don't think, no, I don't think so. I think he was just a G-string type stripper. I don't think he, mm-hmm. yeah. I think. I think you shoved some dollars in there, but I think that was the extent of what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it was fun. Okay. In, <laughs> in the article, it, it relates it to Brad Pitt. So I think Channing Tatum is actually another good one, but it was like, it'd be like as, as if Brad Pitt was, had been a prostitute before his career hit huge. And, um, and that was how it was related. But it- interesting. Did it come out after he after his death? Yeah. So it like he at least wasn't impacted by the reveal. Or yeah, no, it wasn't like he was hurt by any slander or anything like that. It just. But maybe like his family, maybe like if he, you know, if people didn't want to buy his stuff anymore, or you know. I don't know. It's weird to think, or not weird, but it's it's hard to think what would happen, especially as long ago as that was. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would be almost more acceptable back then, because this is, mm-hmm. you know, early 1900s. But now with, like, all the social media and stuff like that, ooh, word would spread so fast. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then there'd be videos. and Oh, yeah. yeah. And I feel like people are... <laughs> so sensitive now and i yeah. think we need to be careful with what we say what we do to an extent of course like you know we need to love not hate and all that fun stuff and love everybody but we are still so sensitive about things mm-hmm. that, i don't know it's concerning a little bit sometimes i agree i totally agree because it's like you should be able like instead of like teaching people how to have educated conversations about you know um things that we might not agree about you know but instead we're not even teaching or doing like having educated conversations with anyone because you're so afraid of offending someone or so it's like like sometimes I'll read something and I just want to like play off of someone else's opinion. Like, Oh my God, did you read this? And like, what do you think? But it's not like, I'm not going to judge the opinion, but sometimes I just want to talk about it, you know, or, but yeah, I'm kind of standoffish about it because it's like taboo to, if if so if you start talking about politics to someone or religion or something then it, like someone's going to be like I don't yeah. talk about I don't talk about that or I don't know what they would or, say. Well they just they get judgy or defensive real fast. Yes. Yeah. Or yeah. if you had a rough past or something or you just needed to make money and you did whatever that was stripper or whatever to make it you will get judgy they think less of you. Yeah. And you might actually have like a college degree but couldn't find a job or just in debt up to your mm-hmm. eyeballs. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't have the chops. Like even if I was skinny and gorgeous, I would never I couldn't do it. Just can't. I'm too modest. Be a stripper? Yeah. 
Yeah, me neither. That's uh, true. Frankie's right. That is the oldest profession. Prostitution. Been around since the dawn of time. Like, uh huh. Baffles me. People, sex workers are people too. Like, they should be safe and treated with dignity. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on before that rant just dives deeper and deeper into an abyss. Because, whoo, history is hard, and that's why we're here doing this shit. <laughs> um, another fun scandal that is actually pretty famous is goddamn ad. <laughs> pop-ups. <laughs> pop-ups. It's about, what is his name? Jerry Lee Lewis. And he marries his eight-year-old cousin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, There's a whole movie made about it. I think it's Dennis Quaid that's in it. So this is Jerry Lee Lewis, born in 1935. And he's, like, one of the kings of hillbilly music, pretty much. And his probably most famous song is Great Balls of Fire. Um, It made it into Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Songs. And... What he did, for some reason, it did not dawn on his brain that marrying a cousin, for starters, is weird or maybe inappropriate. And then, two, she was 13. Oh. And, yeah. That's just messed up. Like, what? And it wasn't that long ago, either. It was, like, what, in the 50s, 40s? 13 yeah, so young. Or that's when he began recording was in 56. I mean, did they have to get consent from like their aunt and uncle? Like, hey, uh, it I'm doesn't kind of lacking, you know, it doesn't say if, if uh, when did cousin laws come they around? They have to get consent or not, but it didn't it, at that time. It wasn't, or at least where they're from, whatever, small town or whatever. It wasn't weird for it to be happening. And even weirder. Yeah, it was actually, like, acceptable. And as long as they loved each other or whatever, like, it seemed like a decent relationship. It was like, sure, let's marry. Let's get married. This is totally normal and fine. Were we all just, like, major dumbasses at 13? Just being like, oh, no concept of the real world. (laughs) Just, like. Uh, Pretty much. <laughs> I, I don't feel like any of us were equipped to get married at 13. Uh, I mean, um, I've worked with a lot of 13-year-olds and not a single one of them I would have trusted to be, like, an adult decision like that. That's... Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. And it doesn't help that even though, like, the producers and people totally told him not to do this and everything, he still did it. And when word got out, that he married. I don't even think the cousin part bothered people as much as the age. Mm-hmm. Um, because right after they got married, they went to England to start his Europe tour. And they get off the plane, there's press, and he introduces her as his wife. And they lie and say that she's 15. And it, even then, it was like, and granted, 15 is still terrible, but they. Thought it was scandalous. They were like, oh my gosh, really? This You're this age? And he's like, in his 30s? It's not, it's not how this works. <laughs> and 
But then it, the truth came out about her being 13. And then that's when shit really hit the fan. A lot of slander, you know, cradle robber, all of that fun stuff. It really flushed his career down the drain. And I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> if that's what he's going to do. Wow. I'm going to talk about one more. And this is another old film star. His last name is Arbuckle. So he's a famous comedian. And he was like this happy fat man comedian. And he just was very slapstick. And again, this is like around the 20s. He was accused of rape. And he was at a party. A woman named Virginia, who was super drunk, she was sent to the hospital and they thought she was raped and everything. She wasn't feeling well. And she died three days later in the hospital because her bladder had ruptured. Oh, no. Yeah. Fatty Arbuckle. That's who it is. And which is a terrible name. Like, I would never want that name, but. Oh, well, he, he owned it. He used it for his stick. But they, so they accused him of the rape. And they thought his weight was the reason why her bladder ruptured. Um, and stories just went wild. They thought maybe it ruptured if he penetrated her with like an ice sickle or something. They they just created all these crazy stories or like a Coca-Cola bottle or a champagne bottle. Um, the most common one, though, was the fact they thought that his weight crushed her. Oh. Uh, it was all over the news. And it ruined him. And after the autopsy, it was found that her bladder just ruptured internally not externally like basically no he did not rape and kill her <laughs> mm. and but by then the damage was too late and in career wise like his life wise so he was he was innocent of it but he but that wow a little bit of slander just That's terrible wow. yeah and, it, and he was like a really great comedian he was friends with charlie chapman he helped boost bob hope's career like he was a mentor to bob hope at one point and so like he was like a very comedic influential person and this warmed down and i know rape is not like a funny thing like I and mean, then it happens it does but it does suck when someone is not Guilty of it, though. You have to think about the repercussions for them, too. Yeah, yeah. They described it as, like, an O.J. Simpson thing. Like, if he really did it or not. Like, it was that big of a scandal. hmm I mean, mm-hmm. did anybody think O.J. didn't do it, though? I know. <laughs> a little bit different of the, maybe the outcome, but I don't know. I don't know. That was before my time. <laughs> oh, I remember the day that they announced his verdict I was in school and all the teachers were like I'm out <laughs> like just ran away to watch it <laughs> left us all in the cafeteria 
And then people cried. Oh, people anyway. cried that day. Yeah, because they were so upset that he got away with it. Yeah. Wow. Mm. I don't remember that. How old were you? Oh, I was in elementary. It was like what ninety. Remember, I was at elementary school, but I remember him. You got a good memory. Yeah. Well, I was like, why is everybody crying? It was very weird. <laughs> it was it was an odd OJ trial. I think it was like mid nineties, right? Ninety five. Yeah. Ninety five. Yeah. That would have been eleven. Mm. Yeah. I wasn't that young. Okay, so we're going to end on funny. Seems fitting for this episode. Yay, 50th. Murder and rape. and God damn. <laughs> Not this rape. a dark episode, I feel like. Oh, it is. Okay, well, I hope this is... A... so interesting, though. <sighs> it was really hard to find a funny scandal, but I think I did. Maybe. <laughs> so oh, I, no. went, I went with a sassy mistress. Okay. You know, cheating's a scandal. Mm-hmm. So, Nell Gwynn is a kind of a risque Cinderella story. She was the most famous mistress of Carl Carl's, oh my god, Charles the second. She was born broke as hell and then died wealthy and popular. So, here we go. She's remembered for her legendary insults, which is why I like her. And she was also one of England's first professional stage actresses. So, sticking to some history. So, Eleanor Nell Gwynn is an enigma of sorts. Little is known of her early life. Her father was thought to be Captain Thomas Gein, and her mother was Madame Ellen Gwynn, a keeper of a brothel in the Covent Garden. So, lots of brothels in my stories. Apologies. (laughs) I'm like, scandal, prostitutes. That's apparently all my brain went to. Some historians think she helped her mother in the body house, which is just a fun British way of saying brothel. Other think she was a child prostitute, which is really sad. So that's a very large difference between historians, like helping and then like being a prostitute. But I digress. But there are some people that think that she worked as a hawker of oysters or a cinder girl. So those oh, are fun jobs. The Cinderella. <laughs> yeah. I just love prostitute or hawker of oysters. Hawker. Hawker. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of my maiden name, Hawkenberry. <laughs> oh, good times. I remember when I was a little kid, my mom drove me and a bunch of my nerd friends to Quiz Bowl because I was always a nerd. And some kids were making fun of my last name and they're calling me Huckerberry. And I was like, you know, when you call me that, you're calling my mom that too. And then like little kid brains were like, oh shit, she's driving us. And then they never called me that again. <laughs> my mom thought it was funny. She's like, look at you standing up for yourself. I'm just like, God damn it. So another source says that she brought strong water to guests in the brothel. So strong water is just a code for really strong ass booze. Mm-hmm. That's what we should call booze from now. I'm having some strong water lay off me. I'm going to have some right now. <laughs> okay with that. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm more hydrated than I am. <laughs> uh, Gwen's mother was a notorious bod or alcoholic, and she drowned to death near their house in 1679. Oh. So 
I know I said this was funny. It's coming. I promise. Oh, my and gosh. Then, <laughs> and then Gwen actually went on to have a better time with sex, fun, and water. So it worked out for her. She didn't, you know, wasn't as tragic. So anyhow, the theater was reinstated by Charles II in the early 1660s after being banned by Cromwell. Because, you know, Puritans doing what Puritans do, sucking the fun out of fucking everything. The so-called Merry Monarch not only licensed two acting companies, he legalized the profession for women, bringing England up to speed with other European counterparts and allowing women on the stage. So before then, men had to play all the women parts because women weren't allowed to do the, you know, acting thing. It's like ridiculous. Around 1664, a former prostitute named Mary Meggs, or Orange Mall, hired Nell and her older sister Rose to help sell oranges in the King's Playhouse. And then at that time, it was called the Theater, and then it was called, now it's called Theater Royal Drury Lane. Isn't there like a fair, like a nursery line about Drury Lane? Drury, Drury so. Lane. That sounds familiar. Drury, Drury Lane. <laughs> <laughs> 64, 64, 64, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's like on Shrek or something. Is that the, I don't know. Anyway, while working, Nell caught the attention of someone at the theater, either Thomas Killigrew, the leader of the King's Company, or possibly one of the actors, Charles Hart. Oh, the Muffin Man. It is the Muffin Land on Drew Lane. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Yes. Oh. Now, how's it go? Do you know the Muffin Man? Muffin. <laughs> I knew it was on Lane Shrek. Country Lane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew it. So, around 14, she became one of the actresses in the troupe and Hart's mistress. Nell's first recorded appearance on stage was in 1665 in Dryden's Indian Empire. Emperor. God damn it. I can read. <sighs> Her later performance in Howard's The English Monsieur won her Samuel Pep- Pepe's famous epithet Pretty Witty Nell. Her comedic talent brought Nell leading roles and widespread fame. Our heroine was on the up. In her younger years, Gwen experimented with cross-dressing. She also <laughs> she would don a beard in men's clothing, taking on the name William Nell in her fairly popular act. She became mistress to Charles Sackville, Lord Buckhurst, in 1667. And next year, she was introduced to the king and became his lover. Nell is said to have nicknamed the king her Charles III because of her prior two Charleses that she was having an affair with. So I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> oh, she's very witty. According to lore, Gwen footed the bill on her first date with Charles II. Two men met in a... Jan- er, uh, adjacent boxes at the theater where Charles was more interested in Nell than the show. The king then invited her to dinner afterwards with his brother, Duke of York. When it came time to get the check, his majesty and his royal brother discovered they had no cash on them because they're fucking royalty and who carries cash, I guess. Whatever. So Nell covered the expense and explained in an affection of the king's voice and catchphrase, odd fishes, but this is the poorest company I was ever in. So I guess that's like an English sick burn. The king had a lot of lovers and many reciprocated that, meaning they took lovers too, but Nell was always monogamous. There were some fun tales about her mistress's rivals. 
<laughs> like she used to slip laxatives in the mistress's food right before they were scheduled to quote attend to the king. So little prankster that one. And there were a lot of really great quotes. <laughs> so my favorite. So she was in a coach going down the street, and then a mob mistook her for her rival, the Duchess of Portsmouth, and began hooting and yelling all kinds of names. So she put her head outside the coach window and addressed the crowd saying, good people. She said, smiling, you're mistaken. I am the Protestant whore. Because they were trying to yell at the Catholic whore. (laughs) (laughs) Very different. (laughs) I like her, too. She was funny. funny. And her then name another is Nell t- Gwen. Nell Gwen. Nell Gwen. Another time, her coachman, who was fighting with another man who called her a whore, she ended up breaking up the fight, saying, "Quote: I am a whore. Find something else to fight about." <laughs> <laughs> I love the quick wit. I enjoy it. Good times. She also possibly inspired Charles to create the Royal Hospital Chelsea for retired and injured soldiers. There's little concrete evidence that actually suggests that she did this, but because the public loved her so much and the story spread, they think that that kind of says something about her, that even though she was a mistress, the people loved her. Mm-hmm. So it was like a common thing for the king to have a mistress. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a known thing. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them, that, yeah. I mean, does that that doesn't still happen today, right? <laughs> No. Do you think William has a a mistress? Oh, and doubt it. He there's a scandal right now that he's banging Kate's friend. Oh, really? Yeah. What? I can't remember her name. Rose something. But Rose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, back then it was just normal, and then all his mistresses were having kids and stuff, but then they'd all be quote unquote bastards and it was just very mm-hmm. but nobody but even like the most famous examples like king henry the eighth he had lots of mistresses and then he would you know marry some but he always had at least three or four so mm. it's a uh, rose dawson <laughs> wait uh, is that from the titanic yes rose dawson <laughs> So Charles II also owned topless paintings of Nell that he kept hidden behind landscapes. <laughs> he had lots of portraits of her as the Venus by Peter Lely. And he would only open up the painting to show people if they were like his favorite people. So like the original sext, I guess, you know, hey, check out my portrait over here. Some boobs. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm imagining. King being like, look what I got. <laughs> check it out I don't know if you guys have if anybody has Apple TV but the new um, show Emily Dickinson (laughs) Rose McGowan (laughs) sorry yeah I'm laughing at this whole conversation Uh, they have a new show Emily Dickinson and it's Haley I can't remember her name but it's it's Emily Dickinson but it's like things that are happening today so at one point one girl she draws a portrait of herself naked and gives it to her crush and then he ends up showing all her friends and she gets all embarrassed but it's like the idea of like sending a nude photo and it getting linked or whatever and then there's one part where they're reading books and everybody's really excited about it and then somebody comes in and spoils the ending and they were like god damn it but it's like things that happen today but like you know <laughs> things that would have happened in her day it's such a good uh-huh. show 
I really enjoyed it. How much just, is that? The Amazon or the Apple TV? Uh, I, I stole it from my mom. <laughs> I traded I traded Disney Plus for her Apple. What's your like, password? Just <laughs> uh, <laughs> pass it out. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was like, I'll give you my Disney Plus for Mandalorian if me give me your Apple. Aha. Uh-huh. Unless that's illegal, then I did not do that. I don't think it's illegal. I don't think so either. In February 1671, Nell moved into a townhouse owned by the king. Five years later, she was granted a lease on the property. But of all Charles's various mistresses, Nell was always seen as like the least greedy or whatever. And then she was like, well, hell, if you're going to give me this house, just give me the house. So it actually went into the like parliament and they eventually gave her freehold of the property in 1770 or 1676, not 1776. That was 100 years. (sighs) So she owned her own house, and it's the only property in that area that's not owned by a royal family. So still there wow, today. that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then on December 21st, 1676, Gwen's only surviving son, Charles, the other one died. Um, and they didn't say what he died of, but he sadly died. Finally got a title befitting of the status of the king's illegitimate son. How he became the Earl of Buford is attached to unseemly stories. The most popular is that one day the king came in to visit Gwen and his son. And when she called over the offspring, she said, quote, come here, you little bastard, and say hello to your father. (laughs) (laughs) Aghast at her conduct, the king received this explanation to Gwen saying, your majesty has given me no other name to which to call him. And thus he was called the Earl of Buford. The other story is that she hung the baby out the window and was like, call him an earl or I'm going to kill him. So, but people are like, that's less likely. But I just like the, come here, little bastard. Come here. Um, his deathbed request was, let not poor Nelly starve. So as he's diving, dying, he's like, please make sure she doesn't starve. So his predecessor, his brother and heir, uh, made sure that all her debts were paid and they gave her a pension. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. None of the other mistresses got that, so I'm sure they were salty, but yeah. Here we are. But three years later, she suffered a stroke that paralyzed her on her one side. And then in May of 1687, she had a second stroke on her other side that left her confined to the bed. And then she died of apoplexy, possibly due to a strain of syphilis in 1687. Um, but burials inside the church became fashionable in the mid 17th century because of the expense. It was seen as a successful career. Vicars were often buried beneath the altars, but she had befriended a lot of the vicars at this particular church. And one of the vicars conducted her funeral and they actually interred her at the altar when she died. She started as a poor lady turned to prostitution and now she's buried under an altar in a, fancy ass church where the vicars are so definitely like rags the richest story well that's pretty impressive i know in accordance with her final wishes she asked him to preach a sermon from luke 15 7 that says just so i tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance Hmm. Uh, another 
fuck you, I guess, being like, sure, I'm a whore, but look where I'm at now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they have a monument to her in Tring Park, and it's the only monument given to a royal mistress in the entire capital city of London. Wow. So she is a badass. Her life has been fictionalized in numerous plays, films, and historic novels since 1799. Notable examples include plays in Good King Charles Golden Days by Bernard Shaw, Our Nell, a musical by Harold Frazier Simpson, Nell Gwynn by Jessica Swall. There is a film called Mistress Nell starring Mary Pickford, Love, Life, and Laughter starring Gracie Fields in 1934, Stage Beauty, Starring Zoe Tapper in 2004. I don't think I ever saw that. And then novels. The King's Favorite by Susan Holloway. That's 2008. Exit the Actress by Priya Parmer in 2011. And The Darling Strumpet in 2011. (laughs) Uh, I thought that was funny. I like the word strumpet. (laughs) Makes me laugh. But I did not know that she had a monument. I didn't realize... Usually mistresses don't get anything after the the king dies. They're cast away, but she kept all her stuff. Who was his wife? I wonder what she thought of that. Yeah, it's really weird. I don't know. A lot of times I know. Mm-hmm. But I guess, I mean, they, the wife has so much more privilege, so it's in her best interest to just, like, I guess back in the day. Mm-hmm. Just you know, I mean, yeah, it was a double standard because if the mistress or the wife had another mistress, oh, right, so we called dudes a mister John, John, yeah, then they'd be like killed. It was wild. One of Henry VIII's wives got murdered for having a affair. Her last words were like, "My only regret is not dying as the last name of that guy." <laughs> I was like. Yeah, hit him where it hurts. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, royalty is like a wild subject to begin with. Just... It is that you could do a whole episode of scandal. On it's on this. our poll for Patreon to vote on <laughs> royalty. Oh, another something we need to do is a movie for the month. I mean, yeah, I watch it. Any movie yeah. suggestions? Let us know. Yeah, for a drunk like dive. What, like historic movies? Yeah, anything. Just for our next drunk dive. Have you guys seen... I'm going to nominate a movie. What's that? The, can I... <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, a, uh, oh, let me look it up, okay? So I get the title right. Be right back. <laughs> I was thinking about that earlier when I was cleaning. First thing that popped in my head was Leprechaun, and I was like, no, it's too scary. Braveheart. Does it have to be scary? No. (laughs) It can be anything. This one is, it was like, it's really a good movie, but it's old. And it's um, about um, aliens taking over. But it's really good. Invasion <laughs> invasion of the body snatchers. Oh, that's like a... I haven't seen that in forever. I watched it um, around Halloween this year. Mm-hmm. And it was so good. 
good. Black and white, but like. Let me make sure that's what it is. Yes. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. 1956. Huh. That's what oh, I nominate. Cool. It would be fun to get everybody. That's the year my mom was born. Oh. I, I probably doesn't was... appreciate me saying that. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us and for listening so that we could reach our 50th, 50th and anniversary episode <laughs> it's late guys i'm so tired i know i'm so hungry oh my god oh uh, this time well, change just hit me i don't know why i'm still reeling from this thing it's it's been rough thank you guys for letting me come back on the show rj i really appreciate that you came back on yeah and then we could see Vinny. Yay! Yeah, appreciate that. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> he's like attached to me right now. I can't even get him off. Like, <laughs> oh, I miss having a cat. There's so. I never had a cat that did that. That would be problem. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I think maybe good at this point. He's I mean, so- it's if you're ever lonely and you have a cat that will, you know, cuddle you. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there we go he's loose <laughs> Man, how did he do on the plane on the way to Japan I don't know they put him in the bottom <laughs> I mean he made it everyone was shook <laughs> it was kind of rough yeah I can imagine it was like Anyway, okay. thanks for guys for thanks for it. guys. Thanks guys for listening. Uh join Patreon, patreon.com slash historical AF pod. Join our social our email. It's all historical AF pod. You know what to do. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much again for Audrey. Like you're so cute and funny and I love you. Like, oh, Audrey, well, here. thank you guys so much for inviting me back and you know <laughs> making me feel special. Yeah. You're like legit one of the few people Zeke thinks is funny. He thinks everybody is <laughs> ridiculous. He's like, she's just so funny. I'm like, oh, okay. <sighs> well, that's good because I feel like you guys are smart and it like if y'all I, feel, I don't know. That's nice of him. <laughs> oh, you're so smart. I feel like would be annoyed. <laughs> uh, you got that whole science brain going with your nurse things. Yeah, yeah, I know a little bit about that <laughs> stuff. Uh, oh, look, you rock, Audrey. See, this is like oh, a personal you guys, you cheerleader. Ah, you're going to make me cry. Y'all don't know how lonely it is in Japan. <laughs> just just a lonely old podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. Oh. Thanks, guys. Well, anytime. You guys at Rock also. Y'all do this every week. And y'all are learning so much and teaching everybody so much. Oh. So I know. I Learn don't know as soon as this is done, I'll forget what I talked about. It's true. <laughs> I know every time I edit, I'm like, oh, man, this is funny. Like, I forget mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. If I make myself laugh while I'm editing, I'm like, it's a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. Okay, bye. Bye, Zs. Bye, guys.